Welcome to the C21 Podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Today we hear from Film UA's Victoria Yamashuka, Paprika Studios' Arkos Erdosh, United Media's Tatiana Pavlovich, Global Agency's Izit Pinto, and Drugi Plan's Naboya Toraba, all from C21's inaugural Content Budapest event in the heart of the Hungarian capital. C21's Content Budapest took place at the five-star Kempinski Hotel Corvinus in the Hungarian capital this week. With over 250 buyers and senior commissioners taking part in the three-day event, featuring a co-production conference, pitch competition and launch of the CEE 100 initiative. Among those featuring was Izit Pinto, founder and chief executive of Turkish distributor Global Agency, and Naboya Taraba, co-founder of Croatian producer Drugi Plan. We'll be hearing from them in a moment. But first, Film UA Chief Executive Victoria Yamashuka, Paprika Studios Chief Executive Arkos Erdos, and United Media Head of Production and Distribution Tatiana Pavlovich spoke to me in Budapest about the trends shaping Central and Eastern European TV right now, from attempts to encourage pan-regional co-productions to the effects of shifting strategies among US players operating here, plus, of course, the impact of the ongoing Ukraine war. So I'm Akos Erdős, uh, CEO of Paprika Studios. We are based here in Budapest and uh, we are operating throughout the CEE, uh, having companies in Lithuania, Poland, uh, Slovakia, Czech Republic, Slovenia, Romania and Bulgaria. Uh, we are producing content for all the local broadcasters, commissioners, as well as for streamers and also working with uh, projects co- uh, that are coming to the region to, to produce and where we come in as service productions. I'm Victoria Yarmushuk, I'm CEO of Filmy Group. Uh, this is a group of company mainly based in Ukraine, but with offices also in Cyprus and in London. We are on the market uh, for the 22 years now. Uh, we are producing uh, content of all uh, genre and uh, kinds, starting from, feature, from TV series ending up with feature films and feature animation. We have production facility uh, in Kiev. We have a post-production facility and actually everything what you need uh, for the whole process of uh, production, adaptation and distribution of uh, content. Uh, we provide, uh, we produce ourselves uh, and uh, provide services. Also, we apart from production and distribution, we also have a paid TV channel. Uh, film school, uh, we are like a holistic uh, sis- ecosystem uh, for the content. I'm Tatiana, uh, I'm from United Media and I'm in charge of original content sales and co-productions. United Media is a, is a group that operates uh, across eight countries in uh, Central and Eastern Europe. We are present in Greece, Bulgaria and ex-Yugoslavian countries. Uh, we operate uh, telcos and platforms and we have 55 channels, amongst which uh, some are with national frequencies, uh, uh, like in uh, Croatia, Nova, and in Bulgaria, Nova. Some are pay- premium pay TVs, like in Greece, and some others are cable channels. So. For these channels, we do a lot of acquisitions and we also do a lot of productions. So can you tell us each, you know, what are your sort of priorities at the moment? What are your reasons for being at Content Budapest? Well, our priorities are mainly looking for co-production partners. Uh, We uh, started to put more focus on this area beginning of this year 
uh, and uh, we see a great opportunity right now with the changes on the market, with the hunger for content, but uh, challenges on the budget side that uh, co-production could be a structure that uh, comes to the CE uh, to be a more often used uh, way of creating content. Uh, so we, we're looking for partners on that, as well as uh, we always out uh, to look for, for great new content that we can adapt to our markets. Uh, that's also always uh, on, the, on our agenda. Um, as a Ukrainian company, we're of course uh, looking for possibilities uh, to continue doing our business and international expansion and international uh, partnerships uh, are on the top of our strategy right now. And our Eastern European neighbors uh, are the first on our list with whom we would like to cooperate. Uh, before the war started, uh, we were quite successful in selling our products to Eastern European countries as well as uh, all over the world. But at this stage, we are looking more for opportunities for co-production uh, or for production for local um, players, TV channels, platforms, uh, because we think that we can bring some fresh ideas uh, from our country and also we still are a little bit less expensive and we are very cost efficient. And another, our mission is to deliver the message that despite the war and all the challenges, Ukrainian uh, production market work, we can film in Ukraine, uh, we can do actually all other kinds of business, but with a number of uh, precautions and measures. This is why we at Content Budapest trying to see as many our potential and uh, already existing partners as we can. Uh, besides being very happy to come to Budapest whenever the occasion arises, uh, United Media has a lot of business going on in Hungary in general. Um, for example, RTL Hungary, for the last five years, in prime time, when they do drama, they adapt our series from Croatia. And I think they are very successful. Uh, today, uh, TV2 adapted one other series, and uh, I just fin finalized the sale of a ready-made series for, uh, for with MTVA. So Hungary as a market is hugely important for us. Besides like the regular sales business, it's very important for me to meet people like Victoria and Akush and see whatever else we can do together. Co-productions are a great structure, I fully agree, but it's very tricky as well because um, when we produce for our free-to-air channels, uh, we produce always for the prime time, of course, and uh, it has to be really fully local. Otherwise, it simply the share will not be there, and there is this huge pressure of uh, of uh, of uh, results. So um, I like to think that co-productions can be something that we can discuss, but maybe for a like a premium drama series that uh, that could have a um, international potential, and uh, for everything else, we can discuss adaptations and uh, acquisitions because uh, I think it's 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 more appropriate to the to the markets. Yeah, I mean, I guess one of the missions that we've got here is to explore those opportunities and and the discussions around those sort of pan-regional co-productions, which historically there haven't been that many of. Uh, am I right in saying across the CE region? I mean, you know, you, you are talking about so many different languages, so many different countries, histories, traditions. Um, you may get co-productions which span a couple of territories, but 
anything more than that, it, it seems that it gets quite complicated quite quickly. Is that a, a fair summary of the situation? I think it's absolutely a good summary of the situation and that's why I said that this is something new that I feel coming our way, but it haven't been really figured out how to do it the right way. And that's the challenge with it, but uh, we always like the challenges, I think, all, all of us at this table probably. Uh, and uh, yeah, language is different and uh, culture is uh, very different. Even uh, we just look at like Czech Republic and Slovakia, uh, the na uh, northern neighbors here, and uh, they uh, understand each other. So there is no language barrier. But at the same time, the culture is different. So uh, there is only certain type of uh, genres where it works to do a combined uh, or, or a co-production uh, for content. Uh, but for, for most, it doesn't work. Actually, I think that at Content Budapest, we just start this conversation uh, because uh, this question which you raised actually have two sides. First, uh, as Akash already said, uh, each country in Eastern Europe uh, is uh, very special, different languages, different cultures, and that's why everyone uh, really needs local content. But on the other hand, uh, all those countries are rather small economies, and uh, to produce something really great and expensive with international exposure, they need to combine their budgets, right? And uh, how to have this balance uh, to be able to collect money from the many territories, but at the same time uh, suit uh, the preferences of local audiences, uh, this is uh, the biggest challenge, uh, I guess. Absolutely, but I think that uh, co-production uh, could be then considered maybe uh, a little more like let's say not on the classic way, but also uh, in, in, in terms of collaborating of, two, uh, of people of two different uh, territories. Like uh, we see uh, Serbian creatives are super good in realities in the ex-Yugoslavian region. So in Slovenia we make realities for uh, last few years with, with Serbian uh, creatives. Uh, this is already I think a type of uh, co-production, it's a beginning stage, but it's already seeing how collaboration between uh, uh, different, uh, coming from different countries can be possible. Of course, when it comes to uh, the financing part of it, that's gonna, that's, that's the next challenge and the language, it's also, it probably needs to be something organic that we find. Uh, I mean, that the content is organically involves uh, many countries because uh, there has been uh, a couple of successful uh, collaborations uh, where, where co-production took place, uh, telling stories of the 19th century, uh, the Habsburg monarchy, uh, which reflects to Austria, Czech Republic, Hungary, and, uh, and, and, and it, it does work. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I fully agree with what uh, Victoria said. On one side you have uh, the challenge of the content itself, and on the other side, you have the challenge of the financing in terms of these are all countries with very small economies. So basically, if you, if you really want to produce something with, uh, with potential in several territories, the price immediately gets higher and your business case starts start becoming very fragile. So there's a lot of risks that some of us like to take. Like, uh, for example, we, we are having quite a few very expensive shows in development, which I hope I will be able to collect all the all the necessary partners in order to make them 
but I'm certain that some of those will be one of the, those shows that will put the spotlight on the creation in, in the Balkans, which today we still didn't have, didn't obtain. So uh, I, I definitely the type of co-productions that Akos was uh, mentioning, where you have creatives working on several uh, projects in, in different ways, is also something that we as a, as a company are exploring because we have uh, uh, very big production units in, in several territories. But we, do, but we don't co-produce necessarily amongst each other, but we do use each other's uh, uh, know-how uh, wherever it's it's best like Serbians they're very cost-efficient in realities <laughs> as you know however Serbians are extremely expensive in drama production because there is a hyper production going on in Serbia right now and it, it simply uh, um, forces the market you cannot produce anything for less than 200,000 euros per episode and even if you have 100% share in a certain given moment you are still losing money so this is the fragility of the business case I was mentioning what about the um, appetite among audiences for uh, homegrown originals and you know acquired content from other territories, and I'm, I'm, I guess I'm particularly thinking about the US, and how has that kind of dynamic been changing in, in recent years? Being a producer, I would say it's changing to our favor, because I see that uh, with all the big streamers coming uh, or being available on our markets, pe people and broadcasters are much more keen to have original local content uh, for their viewers and the audience still very much appreciates the local content. It's, it's a very important part of our uh, local broadcasters to have a, a nice sortiment of local originals. So that's also the reason why we try to excel ourselves in all genres continuously in all our markets because uh, there is a nice demand for, for the local originals. I can absolutely agree. In Ukraine we have uh, pretty the same. Uh, even before the war, the most popular shows uh, were absolutely local, uh, <coughs> locally produced uh, shows. And uh, now we have a huge uh, uh, rise of interest to local feature films. Uh, for example, before the war, the share of national films in local uh, box offices was uh, less than 8%, 8% the highest. Uh, five months of 2023 raised the share to ambitious 30%, um, it, which means that in Ukraine that now it's a hyper-demand for local content. But uh, of course uh, it's a special case because of the war, because everyone is looking to find their own identity and explain uh, themselves what's going on. Uh, and. Uh, in the next few, in the nearest future, what I think will happen in Ukraine that uh, people uh, will uh, need to watch uh, not only Ukrainian shows but also shows from Eastern Europe because Ukraine is definitely moving into uh, European media, um, not only market but uh, media field. Let's say like that. And in our company, we are trying to bring to Ukraine now best uh, content from Eastern Europe. For example, uh, this week we will launch in Ukrainian theaters Polish feature film. We will try to distribute some series uh, in uh, Eastern European in, in Ukraine as well. 
So uh, it's an opportunity now for Eastern European producers and broadcasters to enter Ukrainian market, which is actually still very big. And when the war will over, uh, those one who will uh, enter this market will win huge audience. Uh, Ukraine is always a very important market for all of us and it's going to continue in that direction. As far as local content goes, I wouldn't use the word important, I would use the word essential. Without local content in the, uh, in the, on the big national television, you simply don't have the share. So even if uh, we, we can uh, have the, the, the newest Spider-Man, it will always be <laughs> less share than the new episode of the local series. So it's really important. So how much has the, the sort of the changes that have been going on at the US streamers, both the, you know, the standalone companies, the, the Netflix, the great Netflix pivot of, of last year that seemed to, to mark a sort of watershed moment when the US studios then subsequently decided to, to rein in their own spending and move back into licensing in some cases as well. And obviously we've seen a huge change in, in Eastern Europe with Warner Brothers Discovery and HBO Europe and, and all of that great original content that was coming out of there being licensed to, uh, to Sky Showtime. How much do all of those dynamics have an impact on your own businesses? Well, we, we're closely monitoring the situation, as they say. Uh, but uh, I, I can say that there hasn't been too much impact from that just yet on the field of the producers. Uh, we've been one of the lucky ones uh, that our, our show has not been cancelled uh, that was produced for HBO so we could still complete it uh, I think there is consolidation of the, on the market that we seeing for many years and it's gonna be now probably hitting the streamers as well uh, but in terms of content there is uh, still a good enough demand just there are shifts in, in where you find that, uh, that demand at the moment. And uh, for us, um, uh, that international streamers and Ukrainian markets, it's actually even good. Uh, because uh, previous, uh, maybe three, five years ago, Netflix didn't acquire anything from Ukraine on the systematic basis. And during last year, we managed to put on Netflix almost uh, all Ukrainian feature films, uh, I mean those which are relevant to the stream and now they are starting to buy TV series as well because they want to have local Ukrainian uh, content on their platform. And uh, I agree that uh, there is uh, still enough uh, room uh, for the market uh, to uh, us as a production company to produce something for local TV channels uh, and uh, not uh, and those channels do not directly compete with the streamers uh, at the moment. So it's uh, actually good and this is development for the market. I would say it's a very interesting phenomenon to observe <laughs> how streamers are, are behaving, especially when it comes to the big studios that are launching their own thing then they decide not to sell, then they want to come back to sales, but people already found other solutions, so then, then they don't know whether they made a good choice or not, etc. They do, uh, I, I, I really think it's, for us as a group, 
there are our clients because, as I said earlier, we are telcos and operators as well. So they're all present on our platforms. And as long as they uh, prosper, we prosper as well. So we are very happy with this, with the, with the, this development. It's just very interesting to observe how how the behavior of uh, of their production um, um, needs are, is changing, and uh, and to see how much this. Uh, a uh, bubble of content, always new, always more, always more quality, always more expensive. It's it's going to impact the entire world market of production. It's it's very interesting times. <laughs> I guess what's interesting about this region as well, from what I've I've gleaned from from some of the data that's been shared during the panels here, is quite how much the emphasis remains on on traditional linear broadcast television as well. I believe in, in Hungary, the statistic that was put out yesterday was that the average viewer here spends five hours per day watching traditional linear television, which is almost double uh, what it is in, in, in the rest of the world. You know, are you sort of still very much focused on, on those broadcast businesses, you know, and viewers seem to be uh, sticking with those? Yeah, uh, Hungary stands out in a way, in, in, even in the CE, having, I think, 1408 uh, Hungarian-speaking channels on the market, which is really a lot for uh, this 9.5 million of population that Hungary has. So uh, that also kind of keeps uh, a, a, large, a large amount of pot uh, that's still watching the TV. But uh, there is a pot decline. Uh, just uh, as we see in other markets as well. Maybe starting slower, uh, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's, it's a two-digit number we're talking about from year-on-year -year, uh, data. And uh, that's also the reason why some broadcasters like RTL already started the ISWOD platform at the end of last year, and they're very ambitious about it. They're heavily investing in, in content to, to, to fill up the asphalt with local originals that will, that will drive um, the market uh, and drive the audience towards the platform. Just it's the same in Ukraine. I also think uh, that we have too many uh, free-to-air free linear TV channels. Uh, but uh, yes, they are still uh, quite uh, strong and the viewing is high. Uh, what is happening in Ukraine that uh, almost uh, all the TV groups, actually two out of uh, three, has, uh, apart from linear channels, their own SVOD platform. Uh, they invest uh, in them, uh, they have been investing in them for a couple of years. Uh, and uh, they find that there is different audiences on linear television and on these platforms. Uh, so this is uh, it's also explain a slight uh, slowdown of linear television, but still it's uh, something important for population, and uh, it will uh, uh, persist for next five years at least. I think as long as there's sport and news, linear television is fine. <laughs> I think I think in uh, in uh, Balkans it's maybe even more viewership time than uh, than in Hungary. I I, I would be pretty sure because in the end uh, what people want is not to make choices they want someone else to to, to do it for them and very often it's uh, it's it's just uh, that uh, crucial uh, uh, element that makes that linear television is is really i'm not worried for its future <laughs>
The biggest story here, obviously, is Ukraine and, and, and the war that, that's continuing just 200 miles from, from where we're sat now. So um, Victoria obviously has had a dramatic impact upon, uh, upon what you do and uh, the, the fact that you've been able to keep operating as a, as a company is, is an incredible story. Um, and we'll talk more about that in, in a moment. I'm just wondering if you could, Akosh and, and Tatiana, sort of talk about the impact that it's had upon you from a business point of view, from a personal point of view. Of course, from a personal point of view, it's a, it's a terrible thing. I uh, never thought in my life that I will be living in times when there is war happening so close and there is uh, uh, going through school and uh, studying all the wars that Europe went through throughout the centuries uh, and having a quite peaceful uh, second part of 20th century uh, and never thought that we will be facing something like this. Uh, on the business perspective, uh, it's, it, it's been a shock, it's, it brought uncertainty to the market, uh, which is never good. Uh, it always uh, drives decisions from the uh, uh, more ambitious one into the safe ones. Uh, uh, and in content business, you need uh, brave decisions, you need the bold decisions to always try something new, something uh, exciting. Uh, however, overall, I, I don't see a drop in, in the demand for, for content. Uh, it, it's rather these external factors that are kind of giving an extra challenge to the business. Uh, when the war started, my heart was really broken, and uh, and uh, I, as Akur said, I, I wouldn't believe that something like that happened. I, as a child, went through a war situation in ex-Yugoslavia, and I know how much damage it did on people's lives. I was a child, and I rebuilt myself. But for example, my parents never got out of it. They, they are forever ruined. Their lives are forever ruined. So I know what it means to go through war. On whichever side you are, this is, this is a very horrible thing. And especially when a, a smaller country is attacked by a bigger country and nobody is doing anything to help and we all put out, uh, uh, you know, Ukrainian flags, but nobody is actually doing anything uh, about it. It's, it's, it's also an absurdity that, uh, that I just, I, I, I am still shocked and it should never become normal. On the business side, we can observe a certain uh, impact on the world economy, which of course impacts everything else. So the inflation is big, as, as, as we all know. The prices went up, and all that reflects as a boomerang, uh, or as a the domino effect on, on, on the business as well. So um, no one is going to get out of this uh, without harm, sadly. Yes, business is continuing and all that, but it is changing as well. Victoria, how hard is it for you to kind of hear people talking about business and getting life back to normal and the way things were? I, I know that's been a big part of what you've been doing. Obviously, it's a, it's a key thing that you're able, as, as Film UA, to, to continue getting the message out there just continue operating is an incredible achievement. But I don't know, how do you feel about people talking about getting business back to normal? Because the situation clearly isn't normal and it's, and it's a tragic situation for your country. Um, actually, it was uh, really hard uh, a year ago uh, when we just uh, start uh, coming on markets again and uh, trying to do 
actually our job because we obviously understood uh, that at our fall for the company at Filmier, we understood that uh, our weapon is actually our content and uh, we decided not to stop any operations. Uh, of course, we wanted to give people job and uh, give them hope and at least some stability. Uh, but another mission was to produce that kind of content uh, that will uh, support people in Ukraine to live through those uh, difficult times. We were producing a lot of uh, content uh, about the culture, to explain the world what Ukraine actually is, that this is uh, like a country with uh, centuries of history and culture. We are producing content uh, which explain children what's going on, because for us adults it's more or less okay, we understand what's going on, but for kids it was the crash of uh, everything. Uh, and uh, we decided that uh, this is our mission to continue to tell our stories and those stories not about war actually uh, it's more about life uh, and uh, love and the values because now in Ukraine we understand how fragile life is how fragile our world is and how important uh, to really differentiate what is real what is important and what is not and actually war, it's, uh, no, it's our reality, but it's not our identity at all. That's why uh, we do appreciate that uh, people uh, don't uh, turn their backs to us. Uh, not, none of our international uh, partners uh, split uh, or broke any contracts. Uh, they gave us time to get out of shock and we continue operating with them. So we are actually very, very thankful uh, to our partners uh, all over the world. And uh, it's, we, uh, but we absolutely understand that this, this situation uh, affects everyone. Uh, everyone who is here is affected by that. Uh, and, uh, but what we appreciate the most, that people uh, understand that uh, this war is not because of Ukrainians and if we will, you know, surrender or just stop fighting, nothing will change for good. Mm. Uh, and we do appreciate that people understand that. And the only thing which we are actually asking from uh, the world and from partners, just to give us a chance to take our place on this uh, market. And we are really receiving uh, all these opportunities. So until we alive, we'll live. So it's not okay, uh, but it's fine. <laughs> well, Victoria, we sincerely wish you all the best for the for the future, and uh, thanks for making time today. Thanks, Akosh, and uh, thank you, Tatiana, as well. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Also among the speakers at Content Budapest was Global Agency founder and chief executive Izit Pinto. He spoke to me about how the Turkish distributor is pushing further into formats in response to a changing domestic marketplace where producers are increasingly establishing their own sales arms. He also talked about growing demand for scripted adaptations in Central and Eastern Europe, scope for exploring wide international collaborations and new digital avenues, and his dream of seeing his life story turned into a movie. My name is Izzet Pinto. I'm the founder and CEO of Global Agency. Global Agency is a content distribution company. We mainly distribute Turkish dramas, uh, but 50% of our catalog is actually formats. So 
uh, 50% dramas and formats. But uh, our main business is uh, drama, drama distribution because Turkish dramas has been really big. And luckily, uh, it keeps increasing every year. We enter more territories and sell more hours every year. We're speaking at Content Budapest, um, focusing obviously on the Central and Eastern European markets. Just tell listeners and explain to those who may not be familiar with these markets, you know, the extent to which Turkish programming travels around the region. Mm -hmm. Actually, the uh, growth of Turkish dramas really kicked off in CEE. Uh, Bulgaria was the very first territory to uh, buy the Turkish dramas. And after the huge success, Croatia, Serbia, uh, Hungary, and it continued to spread into every Central Eastern Europe territories. And at first, it started with uh, airing on day daytime, uh, mostly in the afternoon. But then they tried prime time, and it worked perfectly. So since then, in the last 15 years, uh, in every country in the CE region, we have Turkish drama on prime time. And the results have been phenomenal. Uh, and uh, most of the programming really depends on Turkish dramas. Like, because first of all, uh, it's cost effective uh, rather than producing a local show. So uh, I think CE has always been an important buyer for Turkish dramas. And, um, you know, just the market's very complicated, though, in, in many senses. The countries are, are very different. The languages are very different as well. Um, but it does seem that audiences in the region are generally more wedded to traditional broadcast television than, you know, we're seeing elsewhere across the world. Is that a factor? As, you know, because some of these Turkish dramas are quite long-running series. They are telenovelas, you know, mm -hmm. in, in some cases as well. Yeah, well, uh, Turkish dramas are like uh, high-quality melodramas, actually, and they are perfect for family viewing. Since uh, Turkey produces quite conservative uh, shows, and it is a right fit uh, to for the national broadcasters, you know, terrestrial broadcasters. And uh, so I think uh, compared to the local programs, especially uh, when our looks are similar and our culture is similar, so I believe that when people watch Turkish dramas, they feel like watching a, a local drama. They relate to it and they feel attached. And, um, you know, how are you seeing the market change, you know, because audiences are changing the way that they consume television is changing quickly, maybe not as fast here, but it is changing. Yes. So, of course, there's a shift to digital in the whole world. But I also read reports that every year the channels, the free TV channels are losing like 2% of their viewership. So it's not too bad. Uh, I still believe that uh, they are quite safe in the next 10 years. I don't know what will happen after 10 years, but since they are losing uh, viewership little by little, then it's not affected too bad. 
so as long as they control their you know commercial income it will work how are you changing your business and adapting both in terms of the, the kind of um, style of that content and, and the nature and, and, and the format of it as well? So in Turkey, uh, the production budgets have increased tremendously. Uh, so in the past, uh, the productions were all dependent on local income for the commercial, local commercials. But right now, I think uh, what they try to do is the channels and uh, producers, they try to recoup like 80% from local business uh, and then uh, all the international businesses brings the main profit. Uh, first part, you know, uh, recoups the loss and then if it sells well internationally, it brings a good profit. But in the past, uh, the production um, prices weren't too high, so the local income was enough to cover. But right now, it's not. And so that's causing challenges for you? So what happens is, uh, the channels are taking more risks now. Uh, if it doesn't work, they quickly need to find project that works in Turkey for like many episodes in order to recoup their loss. Because in Turkey, in order for a project to be successful, we need at least 26 uh, Turkish episodes. So it's not little. Uh, the show sells only if it's produced for minimum 26 episodes in Turkey. So it's been more difficult now. How is that going to resolve itself? Because, you know, audiences around the world seem to be going for shorter and shorter kind of series now as well, because there's so much choice around the place, um, you know, that they have to kind of make decisions about what to view and, and how long they can actually devote to a particular series. So how are you going to resolve yeah. that? So the, the young generation is really looking after eight to 10 episodes, projects or maximum two, three seasons by eight. But I think our audience is older and women-oriented uh, shows do well on free TV. So for Turkish drama, actually the viewer is always looking for long-running dramas. You know, like the Turkish genre uh, is famous for its long-running type. Uh, so it's different. Uh, maybe Turkish dramas are not a great fit for digital, but for free TV channels, we are the right fit because they want to fill the slot for many months with, you know, long running Turkish dramas. What are some of your biggest titles right now? OK, so uh, for dramas, it's called One Love. Uh, that's doing phenomenal in Turkey and it's the highest rated show in Turkey. So that is our highlight. But for formats, we have two big shows. One is Blind Duets. It's a talent show uh, that kicked, kicked off in Vietnam with huge uh, results. And new game show family format is called Match the Family. It's a guessing game show. Uh, that one is receiving lots of interest. Uh, but uh, every one or two months, we add a big title. So by MIPCOM, hopefully we will have many good shows. 
Talk about formats a little bit more as well. It's the business on which Global Agency was, was first founded yeah. uh, with Perfect Bride right. and, and you've, you've had many successes since then as well. Um, it's still a very exciting area for you and yeah. uh, I think you've described it you know, as, as winning the lottery when you mm -hmm. hit on a big one. Yeah. So uh, what about the formats market? Yeah, so uh, in the world actually the channels are shifting more to dramas. Uh, so they have less uh, slots for formats. So as long as if you create a format which you hit top 20 formats, then it becomes a bestseller. So either you have to become a bestseller or you are lost. So right now uh, for format creators, it's important to enter many territories. Like if you enter a few territories, it doesn't work, you know, you get lost in the ocean. But uh, if you can reach 30, 40 territories, then it becomes a big franchise. So that's what I like about formats. Like once it works, they continue for 10, 15 years. You know, like even you read in the news that like Wheel of Fortune is coming back, you know, which is a 50 year old format. So that's the good part, you know, uh, if it works, it continues for many years and it can come back again. And, you know, sort of broadly across the industry, as you say, there are sort of challenges as far as formats are concerned. There are also challenges as far as drama is concerned. Yeah. Across the board, people are kind of cutting budgets. Uh, it's a difficult economic environment as yeah. well. What are the challenges that are facing you on that front and how are you responding? Well, um, I believe that you always, like as a distributor, you always need to add good titles. You know, as long as you represent good titles, you are on the rise. But uh, there can be years that it's hard to find, you know, successful titles. Then you go down in the ranking. Uh, once you have hits, you go up again. And you should not, um, you should see it as a long running business with ups and downs. It's normal. What lies in store for you for the next 12 months? You've talked about some new shows that you're going to be bringing out later in the year. Um, but, you know, the sort of the challenges, the opportunities that you, you see ahead in the coming 12 months. Mm -hmm. So uh, lately I have been hearing that more and more companies from abroad want to co-produce with Turkey. Uh, sometimes that's co-financing, co-development. But uh, this year I have been hearing lots of foreign demand on that so we are trying to concentrate on that too like we try to find uh, titles that's appealing for worldwide audience and we can partner with international uh, you know producers uh, so i'm checking uh, that opportunity at the moment and that's a really interesting development as well and particularly again within the context of central and eastern europe as well um, you know, what are the extent of the, the co-production activities that you've done today and, and, you know, what are your potential ambitions there? For example, if we talk specifically about CE region, like in the past, uh, the channels did not have much budget. So they were looking after, you know, Turkish uh, dramas as finished tapes. But right now they are looking for good stories to be produced locally. So that's very exciting for us. And we had several shows that are produced, especially in like Romania, Greece or Bulgaria. 
uh, as local adaptations. So they produce remakes, and that's on the rise in CE region. Can you just um, highlight some of those yes. shows for yes. me? For example, we had one show uh, in Turkey. It was called Never Let Go. And a uh, local version in Bulgaria was uh, produced as Lia. Uh, so they just take our script and they localize it. And then they have their own version. It works really well. Then the global agency distributes the remake version. Okay, so that's a new area of business for yes. you. It's your first sort of yeah, set yeah. Of, of, of scripted formats. Yes, yes. Or, or for another example, like uh, one of our biggest success was 1001 Nights. And in Middle East, they produced a local version named Sara. And we took the representation and we have sold it to over 10 territories so far in the last three months only. Because uh, people all are... People want to see the new version of Thousand One Nights because, like, the old, other one was produced almost like 20 years ago. So even like the colors and quality was different, the locations. So right now, uh, people can see, you know, brand new adaptations, which is very exciting. So how many scripted formats have you done to date, and how many do you think you know you you might be at in say you know 12 months time? So almost every drama that we represent. Uh, we can sell the script. Uh, I think so far we have sold seven or eight uh, scripts so far. And 60% uh, of it happened in the last two years. So I think we will see more uh, local remakes coming from Turkish dramas. And is that partly a reaction as well? Um, to the economic environment that we're in. I mean, it, it, it's partly because, as you say, local players want to have these shows in their local languages. Um, but I, I get the sense, perhaps, that maybe it's an opportunity. It's a new revenue stream, obviously, for, for yourself as well. I mean, Yes, I mean, uh, the thing is, I think uh, many territories are becoming more powerful financially as well. Like, for example, when we look at CE territories, 15 years ago, they were much smaller economies. Now they're bigger, you know. They're not gigantic economies, but they're much bigger. So they have more uh, revenues from commercials. Uh, therefore, uh, they are up for local remakes. And uh, obviously we've been hearing your, your very fascinating personal story here at Content Budapest as well, starting out as a shoe seller and uh, in the shoe business and moving into the show business as you described it as well and um, you know you, you, you've put that life story into a book I believe as well which has just come out, do you want to tell me a little bit yeah. about that? So uh, my book came out uh, two years ago in Turkey in uh, Turkish language uh, and it was a bestseller. It reached number six in the bestsellers list with 12 reprints. And last week, uh, the English edition came out. And my biggest dream is uh, to see it as a movie one day. It's an emotional story about my journey, but it's a father and son uh, relationship story with my father. So it's not... Uh, like only an entrepreneur uh, story, but a very emotional 
story within the family. And I hope the readers will like it. And as I said, my biggest dream is to see it one day as a movie. Let's see what time will bring. You mentioned the fact also that other areas of, of kind of enterprise that you're keen to explore or beginning to think about exploring as well. You're, you're a serial entrepreneur. You have been throughout your life, but, but Global Agency has been going for 17 years now. Um, you said that apps and, and sort of digital media is kind of increasingly interesting you as a, as a potential avenue to explore. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes. So uh, I always uh, like to find ways to uh, grow the company and I think maybe the uh, next step for us will be to come up with a nice app and uh, for youngsters either in the gaming business or you know social media business so uh, I'm trying to work on some app development of course that will take some years uh, but I believe that all of us needs uh, passion in our businesses. So uh, to boost the excitement, you need to come up with some new ideas. And uh, maybe global apps can be our uh, new uh, additional uh, industry. Does artificial intelligence kind of feature on your radar at all? It's a huge issue in the industry and, and you know has potentially sizable kind of impacts for, for a company like your own and I'm, I'm thinking also of this kind of uh, ability to instantly translate a series you know and, and, and turn it from one language into another you know it, 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 it has far-reaching implications for the industry how much is that kind of um, you know taking up your time sort of wondering about that and are you actually even doing anything in that space as it, as it happens already? At the moment I'm following the trends and of course there are many trends around the world especially in like in esports as well and now in artificial intelligence uh, but sometimes you shouldn't be so fast so at the moment i'm just watching around and try to see the best business model that will could work for us because uh, i don't want to fail in the you know in new ideas so i want to make sure that it's an idea that would work. Naboya Taraba is co-founder of Croatian producer Drugi Plan, the beta-filmed own Zagreb-based outfit behind series including Netflix Pick Up the Paper, HBO Europe inaugural Adria Original Success, and 2021 Croatian-Ukrainian drama The Silence. Taraba spoke to me at the event about the evolution of the company, the changing face of the CEE marketplace as a result of restructuring US streamers, and a new project Drugi Plan has in the works with Federation Entertainment's Fabula, ZDF Studios back Nadcom, and others. I'm Neboša Taraba, I'm producer and partner in creation independent production company called Drugi Plan. We've been on market uh, almost 20 years now, and uh, three years ago uh, we got uh, partners who acquired 51% of the company. It's a German beta film, or well, I would say European powerhouse, both on the on distribution and production side. Yeah. 
And um, you, you, you started out as a company in 2004, um, as you say, based in, in, in Zagreb, Croatia. Um, starting out in the unscripted space, but moving through the years, you've, you've begun to focus more and more on uh, you know, high-quality drama series as well, I suppose. Is that following the, the, the general trend that we've seen across the industry? Just tell us uh, about that journey. Well, both uh, my, my business partner, uh, with whom I established the company, Mia Draxila, and I, we, we actually came to production from journalism. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, maybe it's a, it's a kind of professional uh, <laughs> reflex that there's some things you really have to start, you know, like in, in, the, in, the, in the newspapers, you, you, you start on a communal city pages and then you move towards the bigger things, you know, so the more complicated uh, genres and, 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 and formats. The, the, the same was in our, in, in our case. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was, I, I think, natural, you know, we, we really had to understand, we had to uh, get a picture of what production is because we were self-taught, you know, so, so uh, and many things were completely new. By then, I mean, Croatia had a great uh, you know, tradition in a, in a filmmaking and in a, in a drama, both uh, yeah, cinema and, and, and TV, you know, but uh, yeah, we simply needed some time to understand everything, so it was kind of quite organic, you know, moving from non-scripted, uh, more connected with the previous job to, to, to something as complex as, let's say, quality drama and uh, high-end documentaries are, so, yeah. And tell us about some of the shows that really put the company on the map. Was it the HBO Europe first uh, original in the Adriatic region, the, the, the series Success? No, it was uh, before that, it was uh, the show called The Paper, we made for uh, a public broadcaster for HRT. Uh, we premiered that in 2016 on Nem Dubrovnik. Uh, by chance, there was there were representatives of Keshet International there who really liked it because somehow it fitted to, to kind of their the things they they like uh, and. Uh, yeah, so they, they took it for international distribution, launched it, uh, I think it was also 2016 MIPCOM, and then 2017 Series Mania, where Netflix representatives, the commissioners in that, that, that time, so, so it and they took it, so it, and it went global, and somehow it uh, put a focus on, on our region, and uh, not only for us, for our company, for Croatia, but I really dare to say for the entire Adria region, after the paper went out, the people started to look what's going on there. And uh, literally year after that, we did the, the, this show you mentioned, uh, Success, that was the first and unfortunately the only HBO Europe uh, uh, original series from our region. From some reason, they they came to us last. You know, we were, you know, we we were always watching what's going on in 
Hungary, Romania, Poland, where they were in Czech Republic, they were producing quite a lot, but for some reason they never came to, to, to Adria region with original production. They finally decided, and we were lucky. Uh, so yeah, it was, uh, it was quite a good show, and uh, it was real regional cooperation because uh, yeah, it was shot in Zagreb, uh, written by Zagreb-based writer Marian Alchevsky, directed by Dani Stanovic, who is Sarajevo-based Oscar-winning director, with the cast and talents from really from, from Slovenia to Macedonia, you know, so co- covering all ex-Yugoslav space. And, uh, and what it seems now that the show has its kind of nice relaunch because uh, it's been acquired by by uh, Channel 4 and Walter Presents in Britain under different name. It's called Four Strangers there. And uh, yeah, and now it's available on Sky Showtime. So really it was, uh, it was the arrival of Netflix, the, 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 uh, the pickup of, of the paper, which really kind of superfired the business and, and um, you know, more broadly the industry as well. And, and HBO Europe, as you say, kind of came after that and, and now we're talking about Sky Showtime as well. So how has it been for you as a business to kind of keep up with those developments, new commissioners coming along, new acquirers of, of programming, um, but also rapidly changing in the past few years as well? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's uh, still in a, in a kind of general, uh, uh, on the general level, not so many things have been changed, uh, you know. Uh, we are still waiting for uh, big uh, streamers to, to start to produce originals in the region, you know, not only in Croatia, but in Adria region. And it is still not happening. What to say, that in a way pushed us to, uh, uh, from one side, we still rely a lot on, and depends on, on a lot on uh, cooperation with the, with the public service. Which, which is kind of the, mo- the main, main generator of the, of the uh, uh, high quality content. The, the public service in Croatia has uh, the mandatory quota of um, investing of uh, minimum 15% of annual programming budget to the work, works of, of independent producers. Uh, now we have the mandatory quotas for commercial uh, uh, broadcasters as well, which is 5% of annual turnover. So, yeah, so we rely really a lot on that, you know, so this is the main source of, of, of the financing. And then, you know, we realize that we will have not to wait for big uh, global players, you know, to come to us. We, we realize that we will need to take our content and try to find the partners around. So we did with, the, with, the, with our next big project, which is the series called The Silence. We managed to set up the co-production between Croatia, Russia, Ukraine and Germany. And uh, it was quite successful. On the uh, Russian and Ukrainian side, we had uh, a company called Star Media. Uh, they managed to brought, in that time, new 
kind of high-end uh, Ukrainian streamer called All TV. They were part of Media Group Ukraine. Peta joined as a co-pro partner as well, and they managed to bring uh, ZDF Arte as a co-production partner. So it was really proper, pro big uh, European uh, co-production. Unfortunately, we, we made it in 2021. Uh, we shot in Osijek, that's the uh, eastern part of Croatia, and in Kiev. We had 25, 26 uh, shooting days in Kiev. We even premiered the show on all TV that was mid of December 21. Unfortunately, just before Croatian premiere, which was set for 7th of March 21, war started. And uh, it changed everything in this kind of uh, constellation. So uh, season two, we, we made alone with the with the Croatian Public Service and Beta, who remained as a both as a co-production partner and international distributor. Unfortunately, companies from Russia and Ukraine, as well as a broadcaster there, they literally don't exist anymore. So it was kind of a bit unusual situation. But despite everything, we managed even to have a um, five, six shooting days in Kiev for season two as well. So, yeah, so the project was meant as a trilogy, but uh, due to these changed uh, circumstances, we decided to, to make uh, the best season two ever. So, and we will stop there. Uh, and it is, uh, yeah, it is planned to be premiered uh, fall this year, first on HRT, and then we will see further. It was also licensed by HBO Europe uh, for Central and Eastern Europe. Then it's uh, uh, in Benelux with Lumiere. It's in, in United States and Canada with Topic. So it, it travels quite quite well, and we are very happy. And in a way, it kind of pushed us even more in this to to, to explore possibilities of uh, European co-productions. And what's your focus here at uh, Content Budapest? Well, I, I'm, my focus really is, you know, uh, to, to see if there is a thinking about the need that we establish some, you know, structure. And, and it seems that uh, Content Budapest is doing big effort about that, uh, as well as Content London as well, you know. So, you know, it's a lot of analytics, a lot of interesting... Uh, uh, things so we can understand, you know, the markets, the trends, the, uh, the viewers' needs, which is also very helpful for us. Of course, it's a great place to to get in touch with the with the colleagues, independent producers, but also with the commissioners, you know, which is actually for us the the the, the most important thing, you know. So we have a Right now, you know, we have, I, I'm calling that pandemic of developing, you know, there is a lot of uh, uh, sources of the financing for development available in Europe right now, on the European level, but also regionally, nationally, you know, so many companies are, you know, and many colleagues are just sitting and developing without clear idea that uh, some of 
these things will ever be produced. Uh, on the other side, obviously, the people who are evaluating the projects and giving this money for development are also uh, uh, not completely aware of the needs of the commissioners. You know, so I think that is the events like this are very important in that sense. You know, that we as a, as a content producers get as closer as it possible to the commissioners, you know, to people from the, you know, either linear or, 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 or digital media, you know, and to talk, to understand, you know, and to listen together what the great people from analytics are presenting to us. So it's kind of all in one. Right now we have uh, two big projects. One is called Greater Adria and hopefully it will be the first Croatian-Italian series. We already have very strong confirmed partners from Italy. It's uh, Fabula Pictures, which is part of a big French system called Federation. In Germany, it's uh, Natcon. Uh, it's Peter Naderman, you know, the well-known veteran who was behind the Bridge Killing Millennium Trilogy. Lumiere is with us also, and uh, uh, right now the, the Slovenian public broadcaster is very interested to come on board as well. And of course, we are in the final talks just before green light from, from uh, uh, the Croatian Public Service, who already expressed uh, the program interest, you know, for for the project. The second one is. The working title is Volcano. Uh, it is a Croatian-Icelandic co-production. We are teaming up on that project with a quite new Icelandic production company called Act4, which is uh, uh, set up by former uh, Saga film people and the Glass River people. And uh, on that project, upgrade production US company joint so it's kind of <laughs> really interesting setup you know so yeah that's right now our focus we also have one very nice I would say cute project where we are teaming up with the ZDF Neo directly it's called Shiroko and it's yeah we are just setting up the, the development process. Obviously, the, the impact of the, the war, Russia on Ukraine, has, has had a very dramatic and immediate impact in terms of the, the projects that you've, you've been working on. Um, what, what's been the sort of the broader implications of that? And, and the situation obviously continues as well, you know, in terms of uh, the region and, and I guess the development of, of you know, series and, and, and relationships and partnerships that you might have wished to, to progress further? Well, yeah, so, I mean, Croatia really has a, a kind of specific position in, you know, so we were many times asked, you know, why don't you work more in, in your region, you know, which is, of course, reasonable because, you know, Croatia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Serbia, Montenegro, it's almost 16 million people speaking the same language. We used to be, you know, living in the same country, you know, so sharing a lot, and we still share a lot. 
On the other side, you know, the Croatia, we, I always say that we have this, uh, you know, 360 degree <laughs> position, you know, where, for example, you know, our biggest neighbor is Italy. You know, that is our second biggest border. And the, the, for average Croatian, uh, every Italian is much closer when we are talking about mentality, way of living, way of thinking, you know, than, than any kind of Czech, for example, you know, or Slovak. That's, and that's the reality, you know. So, and our reality really is coming out of our geographical position, you know, and all, all kind of touches we, we had in the past and, and having today, you know. So, as I said, it's not only this South Slavic, uh, heritage, but it's also Italy, Austria, Hungary, through Austria, it's uh, south of Germany. The Mediterranean element uh, is probably the, the strongest point of, of uh, Croatian self-identification, you know, so that, it, and it really kind of opened up for us much broader space from Greece to, to Spain or Portugal, you know, through France. And so speaking of that, I mean, whatever is happening on East, you know, of course that if it affects us, like everybody in Europe, you know, but uh, even before the war, we were probably one of the very few companies which was uh, kind of exploring possibilities of cooperation on, on that side with Ukraine or, or Russia, you know. So I don't know that many. Probably the silence is the only recent one. I think it was the previously, it was this series called The Pleasure Principle, but among that there were, there were no that many of, you know. So in that sense, we are quite affected. Of course, on a personal level, we are sympathizing with the people, especially because the mem memories on, on this unfortunate uh, fall of Yugoslavia and the war we had are still fresh, you know, so it's many, it's many flashbacks, you know, we are having right now, you know, so in, in that sense, uh, yeah. But speaking of business, I, I don't think that, uh, you know, there is a, kind of the clear structure of, of the cooperation in general. I mean, uh, everybody are talking about European co-productions and, uh, you know, and the need for that and, uh, you know, necessity. And uh, this winter I was a jury member of Nordisk TV and Film Prize and I was also took a part in, in one interesting panel about, you know, the, the the trends in productions in Nordic region, but also through the Europe. And there was this lady, I forgot her name. Uh, she's from, she was from uh, uh, European Producers Club. And she gave this very interesting numbers, uh, saying that uh, in 2022, in Europe was made roughly 700 titles talking about quality TV series. Only 10% of those 700 were co-productions, but half of these 70 were co-productions in a kind of, on, on a traditional way, in the kind of regional co-productions 
either it was like you know German-speaking territories or Scandinavian countries or Benelux, you know. So only five percent, so 35 titles in 2022 were real co-productions, meaning that you know that the, the, the content and story traveled across the Europe, connecting different parts of Europe, you know. So it's obviously that there is a lot of space for that, for the growth on that side. Uh, the same is uh, with the with the Central and Eastern Europe. But yeah, I can say that this this business model and structure is not even established, you know, on the western western side of of the Europe and on the much bigger markets, you know. These sort of pan-regional co-productions and and you know the sort of partnerships that you're trying to build as well. I mean, they seem to be quite few and far between in terms of alliances with your, your, your near neighbours in this region. Why do you think that is? And as you say, you know, HBO, for example, only came quite late to the to, to commissioning here. You know, yeah. what, what is it, you know? Yeah, well, I, as I said, I, I really can't understand the reason, you know. Uh, for example, yeah, I mean, the, the, we were not supposed to end up with the with the season one of success. The season two were, was already scheduled for pr- production first uh, of March 2020. But yeah, we, and then you know that this changes the processes within the HBO itself started, and of course, first uh, of March 2020 was actually beginning of pandemic. So. You know, we never came back to even talk about, you know, season two, but, and yeah, we had a green light for, for it. Yeah, on the other side, as I said, you know, that I, I really believe that every European co-production is organic because, you know, it took me three hours from Zagreb driving to Budapest, you know, it's three hours from Zagreb to, to Vienna, it's three hours from Zagreb to less, two and a half to Venice, you know, so I mean, it's, and it's almost everywhere in Europe like that, you know, so to get from, 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 you know, two ends of Europe, you know, by plane, it takes you maximum three hours, you know, so and people are commuting on a daily basis. So we had a so mixed history. Uh, we are, you know, on many other levels uh, communicating and cooperating today, and we will continue to do, do that tomorrow. So obviously, I think this is more kind of searching for a proper business model right now. We, we. We are completely aware of the limits of financial limits of creation market, you know, and we know the maximum we can get. And we know that the maximum we can get there is not enough to bring out a, a production value which will, you know, make that the, the series travel around the world, you know, that, that the rules of the business are clear on that side, you know. But when you are aware of that, then, you know, the only thing you can do is you know to take your stuff and start to travel around and look for partners you know so on the markets which are financially much stronger independent producers they don't need to do that you know but now things are changing and even the big kind of giants you know from germany from italy are looking for partners elsewhere because you know the Finances are clearly becoming more and more 
limited, you know. So that will probably push for the search for the good uh, co-production and cooperation model. You know, it's always all about money. There is also another opportunity which could possibly bring, I'm, I'm trying to think about that all the time, you know, could bring uh, global streamers to, to, to start to, to, to produce originals in, in, in this part of the world. Uh, Croatia, for example, we have this uh, mandatory quota for, for global streamers operating on the territory of Croatia, which is 4% of annual turnover. It has to be invested in acquisitions or investment into the, the, the content uh, produced by Croatian independent producers. And that could be great opportunity, for example, for them to co-produce with the public service, you know, because, you know, Croatia is 3.9 million people. The public service could demand, you know, exclusive rights for Croatia only. But if the content is, you know, has element, you know, like, for example, our Croatian-Italian story, you know, so, so, you know, you are giving exclusive rights on such a small territory and getting the first window on 50 million people market, you know, or globally, that's, you know, could be a win-win situation, you know, and uh, it will not be possible, you know, without um, independent producers, you know, etc., etc. So that's what is right now, I think that should be the main goal, you know, to, for us independent producers to, to to understand and to propose the feasible, good business models which will be acceptable for everybody. And I think that in today, today's a bit chaotic situation is understanding this new kind of possibility for new gravity, <laughs> you know, could, you know, open the, the, the door for success, you know, so. How concerned are you about the fact that US led uh, studio streamers are sort of cutting back on budgets. Obviously, we've had all of the changes that have gone on at Warner Brothers Discovery, which has prompted the, the, the change with, with HBO Europe, and, and Sky Showtime has taken the, the original programming that was, was coming out of this region. But even Netflix and you know Amazon are sort of making cutbacks and looking at their bottom line more and more. Is, is that a concern that they might actually pull back on international programming or is it more the case that they're looking to, to grow that further because they've kind of reached saturation in their own markets? Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's uh, again, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very complex and there is uh, uh, several elements in, in this story, you know, and in this situation. Uh, of course, I mean, the, the discovery, probably they saw the, the numbers or business reasons to, you know, to move from here. We personally think it, that it's a mistake, you know, because especially that, you know, due the, how to say that, can't say the failure, but not the real role of the public services in, 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 in Central and Eastern Europe, speaking of Poland, uh, Hungary, Romania, you know, where, you know, the only commissioner and producer and the financier of high-end uh, uh, content was actually HBO. And it, and it worked very well. I mean, it's, it's really, it was great, 
you know. So, so leaving this space, obviously, Sky Showtime realized it's uh, the paramount. They realize it's opportunity because you know it's it's good that you know they are coming back. It's hard to say. I mean, it's uh, uh, we we need to add another. Uh, you know, variable in this equation, you know, because now we have a strike of the writers and it it will have enormous consequences, you know, and it could make a really enormous shortage of content, you know, because it's it's a different uh, thing that the, the, the stoppage we had uh, with the pandemic, which was actually not real one, you know, it was it was slowed down, the process, you know, was slowed down, but it never stopped, you know, and people were doing only that, you know, sitting and writing during the pandemic, you know, so once it resu resumed, it was really like we had the problem of the jamming, you know, all around the Europe and the world, you know. But this situation now is, is going to be very, very, very difficult, uh, and uh, probably many things will not uh, be available on market, you know, until 25, 26, you know. So it could then change position of international content as well, you know. Another thing is, of course, that uh, none of those uh, streamers, you know, I mean, I don't know how to say that, uh, but it seems that they didn't have a clear picture, you know, that it was just like, you know, that there was not only the, the quantity of the, of the content which was bringing uh, new subscribers. It, it is really and always about the quality. And right now we can see, you know, uh, I would say that the turning point, that the moment when we uh, really realized that there is no HBO anymore was, you know, last episode of Succession and then the first episode of, of Idol. So if that is what Discovery wants us to watch, you know, that Idol on HBO, on Max, it's something you, you feel it, it, it simply it doesn't belong there, you know. It's it's big misunderstanding. But if, if it was on Netflix, it would be global hit, you know. So I can, I, I follow this, huge efforts to make uh, Idol relevant uh, or something, you know, but it's, it's not. It's not, you know, it's, it's so unnatural, you know, to have a show like that on HBO. I mean, <laughs> it's like, you know, but being on Netflix, that would be like, that is something you, you know, expect from Netflix. And uh, Again, coming back to the quality of the program, you know, and the quantity on the other side. So, I, I, I think that uh, the only honest thing with Netflix was that they were actually always a video rental company, you know. And, uh, and, you, and you remember when you were going to video rental shop, you know, there was always kind of top ten list, and number one on the list was something really good, and the rest nine were just you know like you know so so that's uh, obviously how Netflix uh, operated in, on the let's say metaphorical you know metaphorical way on on the platform you know so there is so far not more than ten titles we remember we we can say that they were 
let's say, socially relevant, that they left some impact on the Netflix, and we are among thousands of the titles. On the other side, you can see this difference, you know, this, the, when in case of, of HBO, it's a milestones of the industry, an idea, of, so you can see the, the, the different approach, uh, it's simply it's well curated, it's like, it's a, you know, so then again, the, the way the programming, uh, HBO remained this uh, network uh, approach with the weekly, you know, premieres of the new episodes. This binge thing, I don't know. I'm, you know, it's uh, somehow it, it definitely it, it decreased, you know, the volume of the of the of the shows itself. It changed the writing of the shows. You know, suddenly I remember not that far ago, like seven, eight years ago, that the season, the standard was 10 to 12 episodes, you know, so now we are squeezed to six. There is not that much for independent producer, especially European, in, in six episodes, you know, but yeah, so I mean, many, many things are there for discussion, you know, from our point of view, you know, people who are as I always say, we are at the, at the bottom of the, the feeding chain, but still, you know, we are the one who make things. Naboya Taraba, speaking with me at Content Budapest this week. That's all for this episode, but you can hear more interviews by tuning into our C21 FM internet radio station from Monday. The podcast will be back next Friday. In the meantime, stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. Listener.